Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Cool. Hey, we're going to jump right in tonight. Um, I'm excited. We are starting a brand new series in church that is going to carry us right through uh, Easter week. And uh, I've entitled this series, The Space Between. The space between. Let me say this. If, if you have somebody that you've been praying for for a while, somebody who maybe you've really been wanting to try to get to church, it is always a great Tuesday to bring them to church. It's always a great Sunday to bring them to church. But there's no better time than this month because this month as we lead up into Easter, we're really just preaching about the gospel. We, we are telling the story of humanity, telling the story of Jesus. And so uh, we just encourage you over these next few weeks, be praying, God, give me opportunity to invite people. Give me, give me faces in my mind of people that you want me to invite, you want me to bring. And we believe that God is going to reach so many people this month for him, so many people that need it, people that are hurting. And uh, we're, we're believing God for big things. And as you're going to hear throughout this series, you know, I believe that everything that God has done has been to eliminate the space between you and him. And so we're going to look at that in a few different ways over these next few weeks, but I'm so excited to start it tonight. And so if you do have your Bibles and you want to follow along in your own Bible, if you can see in here, you must have a superpower, but more power to you. Uh, you can turn to the book of Genesis. We are starting right in the beginning tonight, literally in the beginning, first book of the Bible. And uh, I've entitled this talk over these next few minutes, The Garden Trap, The Garden Trap. And uh, I want to show you uh, this trap that Adam and Eve fell into. And I want you to see what it is for what it is, because I believe that it's a trap that many of us fall into time and time and time again. So before we look at what Satan was able to do, this trap that Satan laid, I want to take a look at God's intentions from the beginning. I want to take a moment and I want to show you, I want to walk you through this timeline of how things happened in the beginning. You'll read about in these first two chapters of Genesis how God created everything that we now know out of nothing. How he created the earth and the heavens and the waters and land and every living creature. God just created everything out of nothing. And then you'll, you'll begin to read that then God formed Adam. God formed the first human. And after he had formed Adam, it says that he planted a garden named Eden. So it wasn't like this, this garden already existed and Adam was just a product of this garden. God had formed man. And then what he did was he planted a paradise. He planted a garden named Eden, which was perfect in every way. Every desirable tree to eat from and to look at was in this garden. Everything that Adam could ever need was in this garden. And after God had planted this garden, he then placed the man that he had formed in the midst of the garden. And so he puts him in the perfect spot. Now, Adam, Adam had it made because anything that he needed was there. And he not only just said, hey, now just exist and enjoy it, but he gave him purpose. He said, hey, I created you. I want you to govern over all of this. I want you to look over every, every animal and name them. And I want you to head all of this up. And so he gave Adam purpose after he placed him in this paradise. And then God, you, you start to read about how he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so 
then God forms Eve, a companion for Adam, because God realized this will be good for Adam. So God provides Adam with his wife, with a companion. And so if living in paradise with all of your needs being met, having an incredible purpose of governing over all of creation, having a companion given to you, who God formed for you, if all of that wasn't good enough, in addition to all of that, God walked and he talked with Adam and Eve. There was intimacy with God. Creation had this intimate and close relationship with their creator with no space in between. And at the end of chapter 2, you'll actually read, I think it's so funny, it makes a note, it says that they were naked and they were unashamed naked and unashamed. Now, what that is getting at is that there was a level of innocence in Adam and Eve. Now, innocence may be a weird thing for you to be like, okay, that's, that, that's weird, innocence. But innocence it doesn't get enough credit for how incredible innocence is. If you have young children or if you can remember back to a time when you had young children, it's amazing to take a step back and look at the innocence of a child. You know, my, my, my little boy, Carter, 50% of the time is running around butt naked. He just, you know, he does his thing, and he's unashamed. But there's something so cool to sit back and to watch how a kid doesn't worry about the things that you and I worry about. A kid doesn't stress out about the things that you and I stress out about. A kid that knows that his parents love him and that his parents are providing for them and that his parents are going to protect them is free to just enjoy life is free to be happy, is, is, is free to just have this joy and this sense of adventure and this sense of expectancy to say, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. And you see, Adam and Eve, they had that in the beginning. There was this innocence in the earth. They were naked. They were unashamed. There was order and there was innocence. This is what God had created and how he created it to be. And when God did all of this, the only instruction that he gave was he said, everything that you see is yours. You can have all of it. The only thing that I ask of you is that you do not eat of this one tree, one tree in the garden. You can have everything else. Just don't eat of this one tree. Some of you may be like, well, isn't he setting him up to fail right there? Why did he even put that tree there to begin with? See, the beauty of God's love is that he gave you and I a free will. That he gave us the ability to be able to choose to listen to him or not to. To choose right or to choose wrong. If you and I never had that ability, then we wouldn't be human. We wouldn't have a soul. We would be a robot. We would do the only thing that we were programmed to do. But true love gives you a choice. You can choose to love me or you can choose not to. And so God loved humanity so much so, knowing what would happen, knowing that he would ultimately give his one and only son. He loves humanity enough to say, I'll still give you the choice. You can have everything that you could ever want. Just don't eat of this one tree. And for those of you who know the story, when you start to look at well, everything that God had done and how are you taking care of them it's so easy to be like how did they mess this up they had everything 
Like if I could just go back to having the innocence of a child, if I could just go back to a phase where I could enjoy life and be excited about tomorrow and have a sense of adventure and have this joy and have this peace and know that I'm going to be protected and know that I'm going to be provided for, I would give anything for that. They had it all and they gave it all up for what? It's because Satan was able to deceive them. Satan was able to set this trap that they fell into. And it's a trap that you and I fall into time and time and time again. You know, it's one thing, it's easy to say, how could they do that? And because they made that decision, now all of us have a sinful nature and now we're doomed. Well, you know, it's really easy to point fingers at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't have the safety blanket of Jesus. Adam and Eve didn't have a savior to point to and say, God loved me so much so that even when I messed it up, he came and died for me. So don't point your finger to Adam and Eve because you and I have the picture of him sending his one and only son to come and to pay the penalty and the price for my mistakes, and I still make bad decisions. I still use my free will to make wrong choices all the time. So I want to show you tonight. I want to read through this story in chapter 3. And my goal and my hope is that after tonight, you will start to see a pattern you will start to see this trap that the enemy will try to bring to you time and time and time again. And the reality is this, just like Adam and Eve settled and they ended up making the wrong decision and sacrificing so much, so many people walk around and go through life and you settle for so much less than what God has for you. You settle for space between you and him when he died to eliminate the space between you and him. I want to show you tonight how tricky Satan can be. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 1 says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Stop right there. You're like, wow, this chapter is going to take a while. We stopped after one verse. You're right. Um, he was crafty. Now, now, this was not a warning for Adam and Eve. Everything had happened already. So Moses pointing out the fact, the author pointing out the fact that Satan is crafty, he's manipulative, he's smart, he knows what he's doing. He's not dumb enough to come to you and say, hey, this is what the repercussions will be. This is terrible. Why don't you make this decision? He knows you're not going to do it. But if he can set a trap for you to get what he wants, then that's what he'll do. He's giving you and I, the reader, the warning, the heads up to say, he's manipulative, he's smart. He's crafty. You need to be on guard. You need to, to watch out for what he's doing, what he tries to convince you of. Verse 2, it says that the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. What I want to point out to you 
is that Satan was not obvious with what he was asking them to do. He didn't start off by just saying, hey, you should just do exactly what God told you not to do. But what Satan attacked was their mindset, their mentality, their perspective of who God was. And it was through him calling God into question that he was able to trick them into doing what he wanted them to do. He was able to trick them into putting space between them and God, between creation and the creator, by calling God into question. This is what he'll do with you and me. I want to look at these three things that Satan calls into question with God. The first thing is that Satan begins by undermining God's authority. By undermining God's authority. The, the author already told us this guy is smart, he's crafty, he's manipulative. So we're going to take a deep dive into what he actually said. You say, well, how did he do that? If you read through these first couple chapters of Genesis, and, and in chapter 3, you'll see that it refers to God as Lord God. The Hebrew word being Jehovah, Yahweh. The one and only true God. That is above all that is the beginning and the end, that is the alpha and the omega, the one true God. But you see, when the serpent begins to speak to Eve and to Adam, he doesn't refer to God as the Lord God or Jehovah or Yahweh. He doesn't use that word. He just says God, which in the original language is a word that just puts him on par with every other God or every other judge or every other authority. And so by the first thing he says, Hey, did God really say? Not did the Lord God, no, did God really say? He's undermining God's authority. He's, he's kicking God off the pedestal in their eyes and in their hearts, and he's putting him on par with everything else. Now, this is the scary thing, is that Eve repeats it right back to him. Eve doesn't say, no, the Lord God didn't say that. Eve says, God said. She repeats back to the enemy what he just said to her. If you surround yourself with people that constantly call into question God's authority in your life, it's a matter of time before you start to repeat it right back to them. If you are constantly entertaining things, media, people, if you're surrounding yourself by influence that are constantly undermining God, it's so crazy how quick we can lose sight of our priorities, how quick we can not even knowingly take God off of the throne of our hearts and put him on par with everything else. So Satan begins by undermining God's authority. Once he undermines God's authority, then what he does is he starts to doubt God's character. Say, well, how did he do that? He did it by a question that may seem innocent on the surface, but was absolutely deliberate and manipulative. Check out what he says. He says, did God actually say, stop right there. If I'm having a conversation with you and I say, they, they actually said that? that? Did that person actually say that? The implication there is, are you kidding me? That's crazy. I can't, I can't believe that that person would say that. So this seemingly innocent question has the implication that God must be crazy. He doesn't just stop with saying, did God actually say that? But he actually says the opposite of what was true. 
God said you can have everything except this one tree. Satan says, did God actually say you can't eat of any of those trees? Sounds like a misunderstanding on the surface, but it was absolutely intentional. Satan was making the implication that God is crazy and God must be cruel. What kind of God would say that you can't eat of any tree of the garden? Well, then Eve starts to repeat back to him this word for God, and and now that she starts to entertain a conversation, I mean, now would be a great point to just shut it down and be like, are you kidding me? Get out of here. First of all, have some respect for my God. Second of all, that's absolutely not what he said. But she entertains a conversation. She keeps it going. She talks back. She repeats back long enough to have dialogue with this. Satan goes from doubting God's character to then just saying he's a liar. Because she says, he actually said that if we eat of that, we'll die. And then he just says, no, you won't. You surely won't die. So he goes from undermining God's authority to then doubting his character by doing it through implication to then just flat out saying he's a liar. That's not true. You won't die. So after he's brought doubt into his character, then he starts to question God's intention. He says, you won't surely die. In other words, God's a liar. And what he says is, you see, God knows that if you eat of this, that that you will be like him. That you'll know good and evil for yourself. That you'll be as powerful as he is. So he's stating the case that God is not looking out for your best interest. He's actually looking out for his own best interest. How could you trust a God whose intention is for himself and not for you? Now, all it would have taken would be a moment of clarity to say, hold on a second, can I just evaluate what God has already done for me? Can I just stop for a second? Can I just like silence the noise? And can I silence all these lies and just reflect on what God has done? Because if I could just do that for a moment, I think it'd be pretty easy to realize, no, that's not what he's doing. That's not what he's done. And that's not how he's handled me. But they entertained it. They had a conversation with it. They kept it around long enough to start to doubt and question things. And here's the irony of the whole thing. Here's the irony of the whole lie. His whole lie is God knows that if you do it, you will be like him. Well, what's crazy was is that they already were like him. They were created in God's image. And God didn't just create them in his own image, but God gave them purpose and said, I've created you to govern over all creation. I've I've, put you in charge. I want you to handle these things. I want you to do this. And you are in charge of the other created things. Isn't it so funny how Satan is able to twist it so much and flip everything so much so that the one who is supposed to govern the created things is now listening to the created thing, and now the created thing is now going to govern Adam and Eve. When it was Adam's job to name the serpent, to govern the serpent, the serpent speaks lies and deceit and doubt and questions enough to then lord over Adam. See, what Satan is doing is Satan is stating the case that there is something to be desired about disobeying God. There is something to be desired about sin. 
And what better of an illustration of sin as you get convinced that there's something to be desired there, and before you know it, you are now at the mercy of the thing that you chose to do, the thing that you chose to listen to, the thing that you thought you were missing out on now owns you. And now you'll spend a lifetime repaying what that thing has done to you. See, Satan was taking this idea of them having everything and convincing them that you have nothing, when in fact they had everything. The only thing that they were missing was shame, was guilt, was self-awareness. The only thing that they were missing was separation from God. But because he undermines God's authority, because he starts to doubt God's character, it gives him the, the way that he can then question God's intent. And he can get them to make decisions and to do things that they probably never would have done before. See, what you choose to entertain, what you choose to have dialogue with, will shape your mentality and your perspective if you stick around long enough. So we see in verse 7, now is the first example of separation between God and man. There, there wasn't before. If they had listened to God and if they had been obedient to God, if they had just stuck close to God, if they had just shut that stuff out and silenced that and come back to reminding themselves of who God was and what he'd done, there would have been no space between, but, but they didn't. They did their own thing. And so now we see the first example of space between God and humanity. Verse 7 says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. You see, they were naked before, but they were unashamed. There was nothing to be ashamed of because they were not viewing themselves in their own image. They were viewing themselves through the image of God. They were created in God's image. There was nothing to be ashamed of because everything was innocent, everything was good, everything was pure. But the moment that sin enters the world, the moment that they disobey God and they do their own thing, they're still naked, but now they're viewing it in a different way. Now they're cloaked in shame. Now they're aware that innocence is now gone because they're no longer viewing themselves through the image of God, but they're viewing themselves through their own image. And how crazy is it that the moment that they start to see themselves in their own image and for themselves, now all of a sudden they feel this need to provide for themselves. To, to get leaves together and to sew clothing for themselves. I mean, up until this point, God had given them everything that they needed. God had been everything for them. But the moment that they make a decision to do their own thing, to go their own way, shame comes in. Now this need to feel like I need to do my life for me. I need to make the decision. I need to provide for me. I need to cover myself. All of a sudden, all of this stuff comes in between them and God. Verse 8, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? Let me say this. When God asks a question, it's not because God doesn't know the answer. God didn't fall asleep and wake up and be like, where did Adam and Eve go? God knew exactly where they were, but he was asking them to answer the question. God says, where are you? 
And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I hid myself. You know, isn't it so crazy that the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that you brought on yourself is the very thing that convinces you to run and hide from God's presence? This wasn't God saying, get away from me. You don't even, I don't even want you near me right now. It was their own guilt. It was their own shame. It was their own lack of innocence now that drove them to run and hide from the presence of God. The very thing that they were used to living in, the very thing that they would seek out, the very thing that they would spend time in was now the thing that they were running from. I want you to take note right here of how God handles the space between, this new space that has just been inserted between him and humanity. I want you to look at what God does with this space in between. Verse 11, God follows up with another question saying, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Talk about throwing someone under the bus. That's crazy. That is so not cool. Like snitches get stitches. Adam should have got laid out right there. He kind of left out the part that he was with her, you know. But then the Lord God, he said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. How many of you, because I know I can say, man, I've been deceived a time or two, and I've made some bad decisions. I, I didn't set out wanting to do that, but I listened to the wrong thing. I entertained the wrong thing. I kept some things around that I shouldn't have. I messed up. If you continue to read, you see that God curses the serpent. That God then goes through what's going to happen with Eve. And God goes through what's going to happen with Adam, which are consequences of the decision. And then in verse 21, check out what God does. It says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I want to look at what God did. We looked at what Satan did. I want to look at what God did. When Adam and Eve used their free will, their ability to make their own decisions, when they used that privilege to make the wrong decision, when they choose to listen to what Satan had said and they choose to blatantly disobey God's word, they run, they hide themselves, they put space between them and God. And what does God do? God comes looking for them. How does God handle the space between you and him? He comes looking for you. God is walking the garden, the Lord God. The God who is above all. The beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He comes looking for you. 
And when he finds them hiding in their guilt and hiding in their shame and their embarrassment for what they've done, God asked him a question. God says, where are you? Who told you these things? God is is asking these questions so that they can answer in honesty. God is asking for the honest answer to these questions. The reason is because intimacy can only happen if there's honesty. I can't be close to you if you can't be real with me. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship with you if I don't know who you really are. If you're not true, if you're trying to be somebody that you're not, we're never going to be tight. We're never going to be close because there has to be honesty for there to be intimacy. So everything that God is doing in this situation is to restore intimacy, is to get rid of the space between. He comes looking for them. He then asks them for honest answers. Then what God does is crazy. When they have invited guilt and shame into the situation, when they are now so self-aware that they think that they need to provide for themselves without them asking for it, as they're standing there with their leaves covering themselves, God then killed innocent animals to cover their shame a picture of what he was going to do with Jesus, a picture of Jesus giving his life to cover your shame and my guilt. To say, even though you chose wrong, I'm going to make it my problem and I'm going to cover it up for you. And then this is the next part that I think gets so misunderstood. This is such a cool portion of Scripture because you see, you catch a glimpse of a conversation that God is having with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. The two that have been here the whole time, that have seen everything that has gone on. You have these two trees. You have the tree of life, where if you eat of it, you live forever. And you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is what they weren't supposed to eat. They ate of it, sin entered the world, and you see this conversation that God is having with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and he says, listen, if they eat of that tree of life, they will live forever, and because they have decided wrong, because sin has entered the world, because there is now space between, if they live forever, there is no shot at intimacy again. There's no shot at me ever having a relationship with them again. And so he literally cuts the thought short. He says, if they eat of the tree of life and live forever, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an angel, I'm going to push them out of the garden, and I'm going to post an angel up that won't let them back in. So God institutes temporary space to prevent permanent separation. So many of us, we think that God is pulling away from us because of what we've done. No, 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 no. God wasn't punishing them. God was making a way to get them back. God is saying what, what may feel like I'm pushing you away right now is actually, it's for your good. I know you don't understand this right now. I know you don't get what you're feeling. And I know that you're experiencing this space, which is brand new to you, but I'm coming after you. And I'm going to cover you. And I'm going to keep looking for you. And I'm not stopping until I've given you the ability to have intimacy with me once again. Now the beauty of this for, for you and me is that now that Jesus came, that temporary space is gone. Now that Jesus came, 
and he is the eternal sacrifice. He paid the price once and for all, for all of my sins and all of my mistakes and all of my bad decisions. That temporary space has been eliminated. And so any space that I feel between me and God now is not on his end, it's on mine. Any space that I feel between me and God is not because God has run and hid from me. It's because the things that I've done and the way that I've chosen to live my life has run and hid from him. That the one who I, in the beginning, could have viewed myself in the truest form, being created in his image, now I've chosen to view myself in my own image. And I've decided to run from the one who I was created to be like. Say, how could Adam and Eve make that decision? Well, they fell into a trap. And it's a trap that Satan will continue to set for your life, and for your marriage, and for your kids, and for every relationship that you have. Why did Adam and Eve fall for it? Well, why do so many Christians and so many people not live in everything that God has for them? How come so many people will walk away from the faith? How come so many people will never entertain it? Well, it's because there's this, this need and this desire inside to think that there's something desirable about doing my own thing. There's something desirable about going my own way. There's this need to feel like I want to choose what's right and wrong. I want to be my own moral compass. I want to live for me. I want to provide for me. And what I don't realize is that when I do things my way and I live my own, I'm the one putting the space between me and God. I want to just leave you with two things tonight as the band comes up and I start to wrap this up. I want to leave you with two things that really stick out to me that Adam and Eve could have done and that it's what we don't do and we should do. Number one is this, there can be no substitute for communication with God. There can be no substitute for communication with God. If Adam and Eve could have just taken a moment, even if in their own strength they couldn't remember how good God had been, if they could have just taken a moment and said, you know what, let me fact check you real quick. Let me fact check you. Let me go back to the source and let me bring this before God to see what God has to say. Because this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. Because this doesn't line up with who he's been already. If they could have just taken a moment and communicated with God, they could have avoided the whole thing. But how many of us, we will listen to somebody else's assumption of God. We will listen to somebody else's theology or viewpoint of God. We will listen to somebody else talk about the Bible instead of actually getting in and reading the Bible for ourselves. There is a living and an active word of God for you, a love letter written from heaven for you so that God can communicate to you. There can be no substitution for communication with God. The second thing is this. Adam and Eve were not bad people. They were just like you and me. And so Adam and Eve, they never set out looking for trouble. They just entertained it. A lot of people, you don't set out with the goal of ruining your life of ruining your marriage, of, of ruining the image of what a good father or a good mother looks like for their children coming up. Nobody sets out saying, man, I want to be addicted to this so bad it'll cost me everything. I want to I go down this road that I'll end up losing my home and losing my family and end up sleeping on the street or ending up in a rehab or, or whatever. Nobody sets out wanting to do that. But too many people, you will entertain what you should shut down. 
He doesn't need to be blatant with it. He doesn't need to show you the end result. If he can just get you to undermine God's authority in your life, if he could just put a little doubt into God's character, if he could just get you for a moment to start to question God's intention for you, then he can get you to begin a cycle of decisions that will bring you to a place that you never intended to go. But what you choose to entertain, what you allow to stick around, has the power to shape and transform your mentality and your perspective, not just of yourself, but of God. What we choose to entertain, what we choose to watch, what we choose to read, what we choose to listen to, has an effect on how you view God. What you choose to entertain is a powerful, powerful thing. I want to ask you to stand up as we begin to wrap this up tonight. In a room like this, you have people that have never made the decision to follow God. This may be brand new for you. You've never heard of this. This might sound a little crazy. That's okay. There may be people in here that you've walked with God for a long time, but it just doesn't feel the same anymore. There's a space. There's a lack of intimacy there. There may be people in here that you made that decision one time long ago, but it didn't feel real, and you've just done your own thing, and you've gone your own way. And what's crazy is, is that your desire to be your own God or your own ruler, your own moral compass of what's right and wrong has now turned into you being your own source of guilt and your own source of shame and your own source of separation between you and God. Here's the beautiful thing. Although everyone in here could be in a different spot, there is one answer, and that is Jesus. There is one solution, and that is Jesus. There is one path back to intimacy with God, and that is through Jesus. And so I believe that what God is asking tonight is where are you? Where are you? It's not that he doesn't know where you're at, but he's asking you tonight like he did with Adam and Eve to say, I'm asking you to honestly evaluate where you're at with me. Where are you? Maybe you have fallen into the trap of thinking that this space that you feel between you and God is not a big deal. It's okay. It's just a season. It's just a phase. If space between you and him was not a big deal, he would not have sent his son to die on the cross for you. It's a big deal to God, so it should be a big deal to you. And if you have been listening to this voice saying, you know what, you got plenty of time to get close to God. You got plenty of time to draw near again. You got plenty of time to do your devotions and to, to pursue him, but, but you're all right right now. You need to recognize what you're entertaining. You need to recognize what you're listening to. And when you do that, you ask that second question. God's saying, who told you? What are you entertaining? What are you listening to? What are you allowing to stick around? What are you allowing to shape your perspective of who I am and what I've done for you? What lie have you listened to more than the communication I desire to have with you? God desires intimacy with you. He desires to speak to you, to bring life into you, to, to surround you with peace and to fill you with joy and to restore innocence that's been lost the very things that you think you can never get back, that God wants to restore back into your life. This whole thing has been to eliminate the space between you and Him. I want to ask you right now, could you just close your eyes? I want to give you a moment with God. I want to give you a moment. Could you answer those two questions? God, where am I? 
God, in respect to my relationship with you, where am I? And God, what have I been listening to? What have I been entertaining? What, what have I been allowing to shape my perspective, to shape my mentality of who you are? God is so awesome that he sent his son to do what we couldn't do, to do the hard work, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty so that you and I can just make the decision to say, God, I need you. And so if you're here tonight and you've never invited God into your life, it's as easy as saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm lost without you. Jesus, I've made a mess of things, but I need you right now. Come into my heart that those who confess with their mouth will be saved that you'll be cleansed of all unrighteousness, of all the sins that you've committed and that you're gonna commit, that if you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your heart, that he will cover you. If you're here and you make that decision right now or during worship or at some point tonight, we got a prayer team along the back. And if you want prayer, if you want someone to explain to you what you're deciding to do, or maybe you're just here tonight, you just need encouragement, you just need prayer, make your way back to them. As soon as we start this song, you can make your way back and they love to pray with you and encourage you. But for the rest of us, man, wherever you're at, whatever end of the spectrum you're at, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm sick of space between me and God. I need God more now than I ever have before. I just need him tonight. I need to know that he's close. I need to know that he's there. Man, if that's you, could you raise your hands to heaven? The Bible says in Jeremiah, it says, if you seek God with all your heart, if you want him more than anything else, that he will be found by you. God is not playing hide and seek with you. God wants to be found by you, man. If that's you, raise your hands. Could you pray with me tonight? Jesus, we thank you for doing what we can never do. God, I thank you for giving your son to die on the cross, to pay for my sins, to cover my shame, to cover my guilt. God, I thank you for making a way for me to come back to you, Jesus. So tonight, God, I say I'm not settling for any space between. God, if you fought for it, I decide to fight for it tonight. God, I need relationship with you. I need intimacy with you. Come on, man, if that's you tonight, and you just need to feel God tonight, you need to sense his presence. Come on, begin to sing this out with everything you got. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.